Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And in this week's episode, we'll be discussing Chapter 7 of Prisoner of Azkaban, the Boggart in the Wardrobe. So grab your wand and get ready for the best magical classroom session yet. Yes. Following the worst magical classroom <laughs> session yet. Eric <laughs> framed this very cleverly, I have to say. That's a pretty straightforward chapter. There's two classes. And it is. One, is. one is the best, one is the worst. Simple enough. <laughs> and later this week, in a new bonus MuggleCast, by the way, we'll discuss how the Harry Potter TV show could appeal more to adults. Because if it's going to be on HBO slash HBO Max slash Max, and most OG readers are now adults, then there's definitely an opportunity to appeal to an older audience, right, Micah, who's planning this discussion today? Yeah, th- it, this actually came up uh, during a bar conversation <laughs> this week when I was at a conference. <laughs> Classic. And I, I threw out that uh, I did this podcast. And of course, Harry Potter fans are everywhere. Literally, they're everywhere. And the TV show came up and they said, well... I hope it's not like the movies in the sense that, you know, the appeal towards kids. How about a series that appealed more towards adults, especially given, like you said, Andrew, this is going to be on HBO, which is known not for its family friendly content. So let's see what (laughs) happens. I love the idea that this so-called Harry Potter fan who's now an adult is like, I don't want to watch a TV show about an 11 year old. Like, they should change it. Well, I have thoughts on this, but we can get into this in the bonus MuggleCast coming later this week on our Patreon. This feature is exclusive to patrons. We thank those who support us there by recording additional content and doing other cool things like hosting hangout events, amongst a slew of other benefits like physical gifts and access to our recording studio. Check it all out at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Your support goes to keeping the show running, and we use it to be able to spend more time on the show, invest in new equipment, enhance our wands, enhance our internet connections when we're in hotel rooms so we can record with a rock-solid internet connection. Don't worry, y'all. It only cost me $5 to upgrade <laughs> today's Wi-Fi, etc., etc. So thank you to everybody who supports us. You know, we're we're speaking of being adults, we have like taxes to pay and stuff these days. It's not Ugh, easy. It's the worst. Yeah. You know, to run a podcast. All right. Well, without further ado, it's time for chapter by chapter. Like I said, Prisoner of Azkaban, Chapter 7, The Boggart in the Wardrobe. And we'll start, as always, with our seven-word summary. Neville. Fears. Rebuke. Well, it's not your turn. Oh, sh- I'm sorry. <laughs> then please change. Rebuke. Great. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to follow rebuke. Oh, sh- oh, this is this is the consequences of my own actions here. When Snape poisons Trevor. Is the seven word summary the thing you have to edit most in the entire episode? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> And that's why I've accidentally cut a word because I'm twice now because I'm uh, taking an axe to it. Okay. Neville fears rebuke when Snape poisons Trevor. Great. <laughs> okay. We did it. <laughs> it's, that's a sentence. Uh, so again, apologies, Mike. I really didn't mean to, to go out of turn there. No, you're fine. Okay. Don't worry about it. So we all know about the titular Boggart in the wardrobe 
and how it's a really interesting, really great um, class period for the Gryffindors. But before we get to that, we do have to go down and descend to the depths of the lowest of the low in the dungeons because we have potions with the Slytherins. Now, I thought it would be interesting in analyzing um, because they're, you know, we've indicated multiple times already, two different classes, uh, two different teachers. And I wanted to kind of get into what makes these classes good or bad. Ultimately, that comes down to the the men teaching them uh, and their teaching style. So I also wanted to get, I know, Laura's feedback from having been an educator uh, as well on just why why these classes are structured the way that they are uh, and, you know, what, if anything, can be done to reform. So I, I think the biggest thing, if we get into the potions lesson, um, it's the Draco Malfoy power hour, right? He shows up swaggering in halfway through class. Snape does not take any points off. He welcomes him and Draco picks Harry and Ron as his partner and then proceeds to make them do all the work and Snape's his wingman. I was curious how long after the incident with Buckbeak is this class happening? I think it's within a few days. Because I'm trying to get a sense of whether or not Draco is still somewhat injured or he's just milking it for all it's worth. Oh, it's probably somewhere in between. Right. No, I think it's the I think it's actually firmly the latter, because I mm. seem to recall reading in the previous chapter that Madame Pomfrey sent Draco home with a clean bill of health. Like, remember, all her skills uh, of healing, any lingering pain is fully Draco's imagination. I think that Ron calls him out on it even and and Draco like winks or something. Right. Yeah. Ron says, um, I'll, I'll give you a real injury if you want one. And Draco sort of sneaks in this like sly grin and a wink. So I think it's pretty heavily implied that he's not actually injured at this point. Yeah. And he enjoys continuing to tease Harry, right? And threaten the removal of Hagrid. Like the longer he draws this out, uh, the stronger air quotes a case he's building to actually uh, get Hagrid kicked out. Yeah. And, you know, when when Draco comes in and Snape, opens his mouth to speak, it would normally be like, you're late, Malfoy, you know, or if it were Harry. Ugh, that's the whole thing. The book even says, Harry thinks, if he had walked in this late, he would have gotten detention immediately. But instead of losing points, Snape only says, settle down, class. And it's like, come on, man. Like, treating the, the students unequally has to be rule number one of what not to do as a teacher. I don't know. Is it rule number one? What would you, where would you put it? Pretty high, right, Laura? Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty high up on the list. Um, I will say that unconscious bias um, can kick in in a lot of scenarios and maybe present even the best teacher with some unconscious challenges. But none of this is unconscious. <laughs> this is just bullying. It's just straight up bullying. Snape's on a power trip here. Yes, I I agree. A hundred percent knowing what we know about Snape. However, let me flip the script a little bit. Let's say Harry walked into transfiguration class late with his arm in a sling. What would we have made of the situation if McGonagall decided not to dock 
five points from Gryffindor for Harry showing up late. We know that Harry can be seen as a teacher's pet and a fan favorite to some of the teachers within Hogwarts and receive benefits as a result of that. Are we being a little bit too hard on Draco here because he just happens to be in Slytherin and probably Snape's favorite? That's interesting, especially because you're right. Like to this point, if it were Harry in a different teacher's class, he would not have necessarily gotten a detention. Yeah, but Harry also wouldn't be faking it. <laughs> I think that's the difference. Yeah. That's that's what hurts the most, <laughs> I guess, is just that it's that it's not genuine. I think McGonagall would dock points from Gryffindor if Harry w- walked in late, don't you? Well, she would be the kind of teacher to be in touch with Madame Pomfrey and be like, Madame Pomfrey sent you home, mm. you know, back to the tower last night. Harry, you shouldn't, you have no excuse to show up later than your peers. Uh, if you needed better assistance, you should have owled me. It's possible she could be upset with him. Um, but I, I think it's more possible that McGonagall would be upset with Harry than it is that Snape would be actually upset with Draco. It takes a lot for Snape, uh, for Draco to fall out of Snape's favor. I have less of an issue with the uh, to to me what we're talking about is the being late aspect of it not the the sort of antics that follow with draco because i don't necessarily think that harry would behave the same way as draco does and trying to you know basically get everything done for him by other students in the class if we were just to look at the being late aspect of it Though I do agree with you, Andrew, I think McGonagall would dock Harry points <laughs> regardless because that's just the type of teacher that she is. But yeah. I'm saying if she chose not to, then these situations pretty much become the same. You have the head of house in the class not taking points away from each of their favorite students for being late. That's an interesting point. That's definitely well, uh, well put. So... The other aspect of this, too, is the the lesson today is potentially dangerous. They're working on a shrinking solution. We get to see it in action a little bit uh, at the end of class. And boy, will we be talking about that? But um, it's possible to really screw this up. This is what Snape said on day one of year one, too. Potions are dangerous, right? If you if you are not paying attention, something can go very wrong. We've seen potions explode and spew everywhere and the whole class gets infected in, in other classes but with this one every, like precision matters as always so when it turns out that ron is you know and bless ron for doing a half-assed job on malvoy's roots nevertheless when draco complains about it snape is like okay switch roots so the ones that ron has spent half an hour working on um are given to malfoy this guy who just swaggered in and that actually has some safety implications because you're forcing a student to basically receive substandard work that was not it's not in in ways and not it's not their work but you're really kind of putting Ron at risk rather than putting Draco at risk, I guess, if the chopped roots were to be an issue that causes the potion to explode. This whole situation could have been handled differently too, right? We've all been in situations where we've had a classmate maybe who broke an arm or fractured a wrist or broke a finger and they come into class and they need assistance. Maybe they need somebody to carry their backpack or they need somebody to help them with an assignment in the actual class. Now, we're talking about Snape and Malfoy here, so certainly our feelings towards each of them start to rise. But I think if Snape would have approached it a little bit differently and and said, look, Malfoy needs assistance here because he's been injured, 
Ron, could you please help him out here? But we know that's not Snape's MO. He he chooses to handle the situation much differently. Right. Right. It's that that kind of like you get more with sugar uh kind of argument there of like Drake like Snape could have actually asked rather than just gleefully allowed Draco to manipulate Ron in that way. Yeah. Yes. And and also he undermines the hard work that Ron has just put in over the last 30 minutes. Right. I think what's particularly insidious here is hello, you're in a magic school. Use magic to cut Malfoy's roots up for him <laughs> since he can't cut them himself. But then nobody would learn anything. Mm. Right. Get your hands dirty, kid. Reading through this chapter, you're just reminded how terrible of a person Snape is. If time passes after you read the books, you might get more like sympathetic towards him, like, oh, Snape, a tragic life, oh, Lily, blah, 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 blah. But then you read chapters like this and you're like, oh my God, he is just plain old mean. And I did have a crackpot theory of sorts, like, is Snape just always in a bad mood and a terrible person when we see him because it's normally from Harry's perspective? Mm. I mean... We really only do see him from that perspective most of the time. It's and true, but maybe it's just yeah. being near Harry puts him in a really bad mood. The way he's tr- the way he's handling this class and with Ron and with Neville, like maybe there's something there. I think the thing that makes me believe it's not only when Snape is with Harry is that the, the things that Harry actually specifically is able to pick up on um, Snape at one point is uh, noticed by Harry is using his most dangerous voice. And this is something that exists within Snape that strikes fear to the heart of just mortal man. And this is a voice that you should never use as a teacher. If this voice exists in all of us to command a room, you should never actually create an unsafe environment to where you're basically threatening exactly as Snape does to Neville um, real harm. You need to create a safe classroom environment. And also Harry sees the look of loathing that Snape always reserves just for him. That look again, if it exists, use it out of class in the classroom, he's the pupil and you're the teacher, the instructor, and you need to be preventing your own emotions from getting in the way of your ability to instruct this person. I think generally Snape is just a miserable human being. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we don't see him, to your point, very much outside of Harry's perspective. We see a bit of him in Spinner's End uh, at the start of Half-Blood Prince. We get a sense of his feelings for Lily through his memories. So we see him a bit interact with Dumbledore. However, we never see him happy. We never see him really smile in a way that when you look at him, you would think that he was a happy individual. If we do see him smile, it's usually for some evil type of purpose. So I just don't think he is a very happy person inside. And I think a lot of that, and we'll talk about this when we get to Lupin, has to do with the fact that he didn't have any friends growing up outside of Lily. And the one person who was his friend, he really did wrong by her and cast her aside. And we could talk about his upbringing as well. He just very isolated individual. And I think if he had grown up with 
friends, it would have made a huge difference in his life. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. This is a discussion for another time, but it makes me wonder, like, who should have noticed this at Hogwarts and come forward and been like, yo, Sev, you need, you need a pal? You need a friend? Oh, maybe it should have been Harry. He had pals. He had dark pals because Lily, that's what Lily got afraid of him for was him. Like, hang- yeah. 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 But like, I don't know. Maybe somebody at Hogwarts should have noticed this. I mean, like present day in, in what we're reading right now, oh, like one of the right, teachers right. or co-teachers. He needs an animal companion, a little familiar that can like yeah. lighten the mood and help, I don't know, pass things out. So before we apologize all the way for Snape, let me add in this whole thing for Hermione for, that he does with Hermione and and with Neville specifically. So he knows Snape is a good enough potioner that he knows exactly where Neville went wrong. He reprimands Neville. He says, hey, you missed these steps where I said add only one of this. Well, rather than fix it or rather than encourage a supportive classroom environment where uh, Neville and a partner, say a willing Hermione, who actually offers to help him with his potions, um, can work together to fix it. Snape instead says, Neville or Longbottom, I will feed your potion to your toad at the end of this, no matter what you do. And Awful. you got to fix it potentially alone. kill your animal. And you can't help him, Miss Granger. Literally prevents another student from fixing it. Uh, and in fact, not only that, but demoralizes her when she offers to help. He says, nobody asked you to show off. This is the exact opposite of everything I've been saying, creating a supportive environment where Neville could have actually learned something in this class. Isn't that the goal of class? If Hermione had been allowed to be like, okay, actually, here's how you can compensate for the fact that you added more of these green. None of that. Instead, he's in a panic. Hermione has to like whisper stuff because she knows that Neville's toad's life is on the line, potentially. If she doesn't help, everyone's tense. It's just this is the completely wrong classroom environment. I will apologize for Snape again here just one time. Is it appropriate for a fellow student to be helping Neville here? I know Snape is unfair, is putting Neville in a very difficult situation, especially because his own pet is involved. However, I'm trying to remember situations in class where, like, I was supposed to answer something. I never had one of my friends or fellow students leaning over to whisper me the answer. No, but this is different. This is more like I would uh, compare this to like a project. And I think it is appropriate to get help from your peers on something like this, especially if you have a peer who's maybe a little more advanced than you are in the subject that peer-to-peer knowledge transfer is actually a really important part of education. So there's really no problem with Hermione helping Neville here. Snape is just being petty. That's what it is. He's out for blood. Yeah. He's vicious here. Like, I've never, I can never imagine a scenario in which a teacher would threaten my pet's well-being for something that I did in class. Again, it's class. It's super happy fun time. Like, yeah, pay attention, but the stakes are just too high here. So if we're to take a little bit of a different perspective on this, though, do we think that Snape is trying to teach Neville a lesson in that you should pay attention to what I say and there are consequences to your actions? Going back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, there is 
are serious consequences of potions being brewed the wrong way. And I think he's trying to instill in Neville the importance of attention to detail. We see coming up that Neville's lack of attention to detail, his inability to remember even a simple password has major consequences. So I I totally agree with what's being said that Snape is a complete ass. (laughs) But you have to wonder if deep down inside he he is trying to teach a lesson to Neville. I think he is. He's going about it the wrong way. (laughs) Um, My theory here to play a little bit of devil's advocate, not defending Snape. I think Snape had no intention of letting Trevor actually get poisoned. I think he was going to make Neville feed him the potion, but then he probably had an antidote on hand or something similar that he would be able to quickly reverse any negative effects on Trevor um, just to give Neville that split second of fear that he had killed his toad. Well, the anticipation is worse than the fear itself, exactly. right? Or worse mm. than the moment. But just, just, I mean, think about this. Feeding a drop of poison to a toad is animal abuse. Yes. Like, even if it's just for a second and you have the, you know, antidote right next to you and you're the greatest potioner ever, that's... Well, they do I all mean, sorts of experiments. there's a lot of animal experiments. abuse in the wizarding world. That's exactly. true, but this is Trevor, everyone. This one has a name. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It, it's different if they have a name and they sleep on your bed, okay? Um, I'm not forgiving any animal abuse, by the way. No, nobody is. <laughs> this week's episode title is Severass. Um, <laughs> Severass Snape. Very nice. But I mean, if we're talking about comparing it to a classroom setting, you ever have a lab partner? There is some mm-hmm. collaborative work in the later grades yep. in science. And that's basically what I, or chemistry, that's basically what I compare potions to. Um, in fact, Harry and Ron are technically at like the same table because that's where Draco uh, sits down. So they all should be kind of working together. But yeah, just the whole approach of basically forbidding Hermione from helping Neville when she's offering and the fact that when she does help him and he does poison Trevor and Trevor turns out fine, Snape removes points from Gryffindor. I thought about this when we were having the discussion. Do you think that Snape sees a bit of Lily and Hermione. Ooh. I wonder if that's drawing too heavily on movie canon because of how Slughorn talks about Lily. But that is in the book to some extent, I guess. Saying she was like apt. really intelligent. Yeah, like a brilliant yeah. pupil. Well, from the standpoint of we know Lily was very good at potions. Yeah. Uh, but Hermione's good at everything. Except divination. Well, this is actually <laughs> sick burn, Laura. This is actually the um, not the worst Snape and uh, not this is not the worst potions class for Snape and Hermione. That class is where he insults her teeth or says, like, I, I don't see a difference or whatever, whatever book that's from. It's the most horrible moment of all time. Um, but, you know, Snape does not like Hermione. And it's possible we should probably as we go along, continue reading into whether there's like a Lily connection there where he like rejects her for that reason. But I don't know. I think that there's maybe something there and it could just boil down to her proximity to Harry, right? Because she's one of Harry's best friends. Snape kind of writes her off. Um, Related somewhat to what you're talking about, Micah, I was thinking about this too. And I was thinking about the way Snape treats 
all students who aren't Slytherins is pretty terrible across the board. But he has particular vitriol for Harry and Neville. Very interesting, given the fact that, you know, both of them had potential to be the chosen one. And we know Snape overheard part of the prophecy. Um, and I'm not remembering if at this point in time, he's aware that Neville could have been picked by Voldemort. And I'm thinking if he does know about that, maybe he resents Neville and wishes that Voldemort had picked Neville so that Lily wouldn't have died. Uh, oh, wow. so he, the only person he hates more than Harry is Neville. Is yeah. Neville. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's amazing. Pretty darn good. Here's an here's an interesting question. Uh, and this was brought up by Kyle uh, in our Discord. Could it be bigotry, i.e. anti-Muggle-born bias that Snape is um, performing here against yep. Hermione? I agree with that 100%. Um, he loved Lily, but he very much treated Lily like an exception to the rule. He he kind of pulled a, you know, I think some some of our listeners might be familiar with the stereotype that you hear from bigoted racist individuals about, you know, somebody being one of the quote good ones. And that's how he treated Lily. Right. He probably still has a lot of bias against Muggleborns, which is interesting from the standpoint that he himself is a half-blood. Mm-hmm. And it shows you that bigotry and racism can show up in anybody mm-hmm. towards yeah. anybody else. It doesn't just have to be the purebloods who are racist and bigoted towards the Muggleborns. Right. I forgot about Snape's whole bias thing, but I think it definitely comes into play here because the wedge that dri- that's driven between Lily and Snape finally happens because he calls Lily a mudblood. It's kind of saying the quiet part out loud, like, that's how you see me? Really? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's again, really fascinating. But if turned, if, if, if Snape were just a good teacher wrapping this up, um, Hermione could excel in this class in a way that because like she could be the next potions master one day. Like it seems a little far fetched, but she's got the aptitude for it. You, you can make the argument that a lot of the other students would be much better in potions if Snape would just choose not to be such a bully towards them. And I'll do my last in defense of Snape before- This is unexpected and delightful, by the way. (laughs) Before before I stop kind of playing devil's advocate. But he gave Hermione clear direction and Hermione chose not to listen to him. And so as a result of that, he takes points from Gryffindor, which I think is totally justifiable. The teacher gave you directions. You chose not to listen to the teacher in that case specifically. I'm not saying when she raises her hand and gives an answer that that's justified to take points. But I think in this case, we've all been in those situations where we haven't listened to the teacher and we've gotten in trouble as a result of it. This is just a kind of different situation. Yeah. Now, now that said, (laughs) I truly believe that Snape is an enabler. Uh, which in many ways I believe is worse than actually being the bully. Particularly because he's older and he Mm. should know better. And he's teaching students like Draco that it's okay to behave this way and treat your peers like garbage. And that is why I really just don't like him as an individual. (laughs) 
Well, and he doesn't um, actually know that Hermione helped. I mean, he knows he knows, but and, and, and Harry says that she was whispering it. But it is an assumption that Hermione helped him when the toad is not poisoned in some worse way. That's and, the other thing, because yeah. you could completely be delegitimizing Neville and yes. his ability to brew a potion successfully if, in fact, he didn't take the advice that Hermione was giving him. What if Neville did fix it himself? Right. Using his yeah. own, you know, pull himself up by the britches. This could be his glow up moment. But Snape doesn't see it that way. Snape did know that Hermione was whispering things in his ear, by the way. Because during Lupin's class, Snape says to Lupin, uh, I would advise you not to entrust him, not unless Miss Granger is hissing instructions in his ear. Well, again, so that's an assumption, that. again, because they were seated next to each other. And Neville, I, I think it really is. I guess, but he literally did. She literally did do she that. She does so. do this. and But Harry witnesses that happening. Snape does not. I think it's more like when he realizes that the potion is okay again, the only explanation, because Neville's such a dunderhead, mm, yeah, is I guess. that Snape. And then so, but he does say it. And then you're right. I could see it either way. But, but I think he would have stopped it in the moment. I think Snape is vindictive enough that if he heard Hermione giving instructions, he would have moved her to the other side of the room. Like, yeah, or something like that. And of course, Snape is a little gentleman, so there is that too. And then we consider that. Not so fair. Lots, That's so not fair. <laughs> lots of stuff in this potions. Yeah, right. He's the worst teacher of all time. What? One other thing, quickly, if it's okay, I wanted to bring up, and this happened earlier in the chapter, but Ron standing up to Draco. I, I think it's important to mention yeah. that because he's really somebody that we see do this a lot. And I was curious if we think that comes from the fact that he has five older brothers, so he doesn't take bleep from anybody. And I also think it speaks to his character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was surprised reading that, too, that Ron would stand up so forcefully to Draco in that way and threatening him with a real injury. It does make you wonder if he would actually go through with that. I'm not sure that he would. I have a hard time seeing it. I mean, I guess it depends on uh, how far it escalates. But um, yeah, I, w I was uh, surprised by that, too. And I do agree with you, Mike. It could have to do with his brothers. And Ron's a more physical character in the books than I think we see in the movies. You can never imagine Rupert Grint like, you know, launching himself over a table. But every scene where there's confrontation with Malfoy, Ron's the first to fists. Ron, a very smart and tough character. Let's not forget about <laughs> the slugs from... Uh... Was it yeah. the first well, book? Right, that's what I was thinking too. Chamber of Secrets, right? Oh, Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, Ron yeah. Ron really isn't averse to a physical altercation and it probably is due to all his brothers. I also think he's willing to call Malfoy on his BS. Not my friend, you bitch. Right. <laughs> and feels more able to do so. Harry feels a little trapped sometimes speaking out in potions, but Ron ha has that like safety net, I think a little bit of like being a pure blood if we're going to go the whole Snape's racist thing and also just being Harry's friend and, and being personally sick of the BS. So the only other question I had, and this is more of just a thought piece for us long, long Harry Potter fans, um, while in potions, it turns out. So apparently the desired effect of a shrinking solution is not to reduce uh, the recipient's size, but to de-age them? Is that what's happening with Trevor the Toad, who in a pop becomes a tadpole? Or what exactly does this so-called shrinking solution really do? Yeah, I, I looked this up um, on the fandom wiki, and that is the desired effect, that it 
it just transforms you into the younger version of yourself or transforms the thing into the younger version of itself. But it is kind of confusing because you would expect a shrinking solution to just shrink the existing matter, not convert it into a prior form. It's like reverse Pokemon evolution going on here. Well, and if this really existed in the real world, it would be the fountain of youth, right? Yeah. Wouldn't wouldn't everybody be reducing themselves to like their very young forms and reliving life? And how long does it last? This is one of a few things in the in the classes where it, it's just a thing they study one like it's like, OK, we're doing this today. And it's like, whatever. Um, so from a writing standpoint, it probably doesn't have high stakes. But that and like switching spells, which they also learn really early, like when we were back before all the books came out, um, there was a lot of speculation where if these things did different things or depending on what switching spells could do, they might have come up in a big way in the plot. I'm thinking specifically about switching spells because of the uh, Remus's James theory, which I'm sure we'll devote some time to in the future. There's also something to be said for the fact that this happens to Neville and it's a shrinking solution because I feel like he's made to feel very small in this chapter. Oh, that's so brilliant. It really is. There is an inconsistency, though, with the shrinking solution that I wanted to call out. Um, And, you know, we could just chalk this up to inconsistency based on who all was working on these projects. But from Pottermore's Book of Potions, there's this excerpt um, relating to the history of um, shrinking solutions. There was the famous case of wizard Samuel Plunkett, who poured shrinking solution into the well of a village that had persecuted him, then spent his birthday chasing the shrunken villagers in hobnail boots. So either the villagers just get very, very small here, and then that's very inconsistent with what we're seeing here in the books, or these villagers are being reverted to their baby forms, and he's chasing (laughs) them in hobnail boots. I'm just thinking of the- Either way, there's an issue here with the shrinking solution. (laughs) I'm thinking of the baby face Death Eater now, and that's just really squeaking me out. (laughs) so disturbing well that's another connection to order of the phoenix True. oh yeah right between books three and five uh which ring theory and mirrored suggests that those books would be the closest relation so let's go <laughs> above ground to the higher most acceptable classes there's actually a transition bit a little bit because they show up the students show up for uh, defense against the dark arts class and find out that they're not going to be having this class in the DADA classroom. Now, first of all, does this throw back for any of you to any class ever that took place outside of its normal assigned classroom? There's immediately a sense of excitement and wonder when this occurs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Similar to the feeling of when the teacher said, okay, we're watching a movie in class today. (laughs) It's like, yes, (laughs) yes. Doing something that, well, you might fall asleep during the movie. But yeah, I think... um, yeah, we definitely had some like field trips for class um, or even I'm just thinking like gym class getting to go outside on the nice days was very exciting instead of being in the stuffy gymnasium. Definitely. Yeah, I was thinking if if you're lucky enough to be able to go outside and for science, if you were doing some sort of class outdoors and just the change of scenery is nice, especially when you're sitting in those seats day after day, week after week, month after month, and 
Laura, I would love to hear from you just having been a teacher and, and was it, was it also refreshing for you to not be in the classroom all the time too? Yeah, hundred percent. I I mean, it's been a while since I taught. I feel like I need to give that disclaimer, but I I love. We reference it like you're an active teacher. You're still an ed- you educate us. You educate our audience. So <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate the endorsement. But I I loved taking my classes outside when it was nice. Um, the change in environment just kind of helped increase motivation. Kind of woke everybody up, and I don't know diversified things a little bit, um, just kind of shook up the regular monotony of what we were doing day to day and made for usually a pretty fun and engaging class. I do think it says something, though, that Lupin takes them to the staff room. It's almost like you're, you're breaking down barriers a bit. He's almost saying that the students are equal to the professors in that they're able to go into this room and hold a class here. So I thought that that was kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, the the staff room is a normally restricted area that's off bounds to them. Lupin is cool and he breaks all the rules. <laughs> so on the way, um, they encounter Peeves. This class is already very exciting. Um, and it's an interesting moment because Peeves... First of all, directly addresses teachers. I feel like that rarely happens unless it's like Filch. Um, But Peeves and Lupin apparently have a lot of backstory here. And Lupin very calmly is like, "Eh, you shouldn't be sticking that gum in that keyhole. And as we all know, uh, causes a spell to shoot the gum up Peeves' nose. But I wanted to get our our feelings on sort of what the relationship would have been like. Um, Lupin obviously being a, a student at the school, one with a big, big secret likely ones that that Peeves would either want to expose or threaten to expose. What I'm reading into on this read through of the uh, book is essentially that maybe Dumbledore or somebody high up refused to allow Peeves to spill the werewolf secret, which Peeves surely would have (laughs) determined over the course of many years. And that's why there's this tension that Peeves really wants to like blab and can't. Do you guys get any of that or think it might be something else yeah my take on this was i mean this line stood out to me peeves usually showed some respect towards the teachers end quote yet here he's calling lupin loony so yeah i think that's a reference to him being a werewolf i almost read it like there's a rapport between the two actually because he shoots the gum up peeves's nose and then peeves just kind of like disappears and it seemed like Lupin was signaling that he doesn't mind if he and Peeves are bros who take the piss out of one another from time to time. That was kind of my read on <laughs> okay. it, Okay, <too. laughs> yeah. It, it, it is almost like he's done this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, right. It's so seamless that he just knows how to handle Peeves. Maybe he hasn't ah, exactly- Maybe that's a better way to put it, yeah. Shot a wad of gum up his nose before, but he's handled him- in the past, it seems like. Yeah. And let's not forget, Lupin is only a couple weeks on the job at this point. So it the fact that Peeves recognizes him is is interesting to me as well. Presumably he would have changed. A ghost never forgets. A poltergeist never forgets. <laughs> I like I like that a lot. You know, Kyle's bringing up a good point too in the Discord. There's no way the Marauders didn't have a long history of interactions with Peeves. Yeah. That's oh, a good observation. Sure. 
And we have to remember, you know, Lupin is much younger in these stories than the way he's portrayed in the films. He's in his early 30s here. So it's not been all that long since he was a student at Hogwarts himself. That's a that's a really good point. I also think just doing this raises Lupin's cool factor yeah. with the class. Mm-hmm. That he can kind of like take on Peeves or respond, handle Peeves. Take on Peeves. Take on Peeves. That's totally my next <laughs> filk. Take on Peeves. Okay, that's okay. So we've got Severass as a title option and then Take on Peeves. Take on Peeves. Thank you. With musical emojis. By <laughs> so people understand what the heck we're yeah. doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like the idea of the uh, co- connecting it to the Marauders too. In their explorations of the castle, they would have bumped with Peeves all along. It, it's possible they even had a good relationship because if you think about the closest Fred and George ever get to Peeves is like the the parting order where Peeves salutes them. But the Marauders, I think, more actively made it their mission to explore Hogwarts. So they would have had to have had, I think, more of a working relationship with the Poltergeist so that they would because if they were at odds, they would have been in trouble more because um, he would have caused a commotion or caused that to happen. So we actually aren't done talking about how bad Snape sucks, because when we get into the staff room, guess who's there unwinding from his big bully session? This is what oh, Snape does. He congratulates himself. By himself. Yeah. Right. Worth mentioning. Okay. What? Why is that significant? Well, we talked about how, generally speaking, at least as far as we know, he doesn't have any friends. Oh, he's apologist. He's isolated in this situation yet again. Maybe he just needs a moment after class. Flora, as a teacher, <laughs> did you ever need a moment after class? I mean, sometimes. I think with Snape, this is just a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, for him, we can definitely say he has a very tragic story arc. However, a lot of his current present day isolation, sadness is very much self-inflicted. I think this is where Dumbledore's famous line of it's our choices that determine who we are rather than, you know, the things that happen to us. I don't remember the exact line, but Snape, could have made different choices and as a result had a more fulfilling personal life than the one that he has. So he does this to himself. He's also there to re-elevate Neville's anxiety levels, which you would think hopefully would have come down a little bit since potions earlier in the day. And so, you know, and that that's, the worst part about this is Neville leaves potions very much anxious and then has to step into the position of being the first in this class. But we know that Lupin is very much a teacher who wants to try and instill a level of confidence in Neville. And so we get those two kind of juxtaposing approaches to to teaching but yes i i believe snape is very much there for to, to raise neville's anxiety levels he's there to challenge lupin as well i think on some level mm-hmm. because we, the staff know there's a boggart in the wardrobe yes you, and and 
maybe Lupin put up a sign that says, hey, reserved for my class. Well, no, he would have done it properly. They would have known that there's going to be his class in here because that's just how Lupin rolls. And Snape just happens to be there on, on for Lupin's first lesson. Yeah. Snape inserted himself here to further bully Neville. I think it's clear as day um, that that's actually what occurred. Because on the one hand, you can be like, all teachers need to go to the staff room to unwind. But on this day, like given that Lupin would have communicated in advance and said, hey, nobody deal with this bogger because I want my my third years to do it. There's no way he's in there by accident. And nobody else is there too. McGonagall, Flitwick, Sprout. Also, I mean, doesn't, I mean, Snape lives at Hogwarts. Why do you need to go to the staff room to unwind? You have chambers. <laughs> go chill in your room. Maybe they got good coffee in the staff room. Really, Neville is the the person who suffers the most from this. So um, let's find out how to right a wrong. And it takes a good teacher to undo the trauma of a bad teacher, I think. I find that to be a valuable truism. So when we get into sort of the Bogart situation, and there's many reasons this class is Harry's best yet. It's practical. It allows everyone uh, in the class to get, um, you know, kind of prove prove their mettle a little bit. Um, I think it, it's like total foreground of uh, what becomes the, the DA even. Um, even though Harry himself doesn't quite get to perform in it, this lesson ends up being very instructive to the kind of teacher that Harry becomes and also the kinds of lessons that they end up running. I think a lot of it, though, comes down to Lupin fully explaining the deal that Bogarts, who they are, where they come from, how to defeat them. And he almost like right in front of Snape, as Snape is leaving and has that crack about Neville, Lupin actually says it's not written as being defiant, but I think it's like kind of defiantly of actually I was hoping Neville would would be my my example, the person that that handles this. And that, I think, was a real pure moment, maybe Gryffindor to Gryffindor, of just supporting a student. You, you made me think of something, Eric. Um, and I don't know that we've even talked about this before, but we see in Snape now the person who was bullied has become the one doing the bullying. And Lupin has paired witness to to both versions. Mm. And I think that that says a lot about what bullying can do to people. 100%. And it's so interesting that Lupin is the one to break the cycle here. I just got chills, honestly, because I'm wondering if Lupin has any guilt for knowing that he made Snape this way, partly. Um, If not guilt, he at least can handle it. Um, because again, I think Lupin has the makings of an actual good teacher. And, and much like with James and Lily, who were very close friends of Lupin's, we would have to assume that he knew Frank and Alice as well. And mm-hmm. here is their son, who he sees being treated poorly by Snape, and he's trying to instill confidence in him. Yeah. So again, I think it comes down to giving a thorough overview. It's it's obviously a funny thing that happens that they're able to take what Neville fears the most and uh, put it in drag. You know, it's kind of a funny moment. And it, for many reasons, I think it's genuinely funny. Um, but there are further implications like if you fear something and, and something you fear is the very last thing that you want to come out. 
But being able to turn it on its head in a supportive group environment and basically in a way confront your fear indirectly, uh, you can work through some shit. Totally. This class is great at, I think, for everyone confronting their worst fear, which can only be, I think, a, a therapeutic good. Um, I don't know. Everything about the Boggart is just like, I see this class as being useful beyond its limited, you know, teach, immediate teaching results. Yeah, absolutely. Because now in any situation where Neville begins to fear Professor Snape, he can think of Snape in his mind dressed like his grandmother. Yeah. And so that's why it does have value beyond the classroom for him. Yeah. And it is such an interesting contrast because the the theme of this chapter is fear and how we re- respond to fear in potions. Neville is confronted directly with his worst fear. And then in the class right after that, he gets to laugh at it. It's, it's, it's pretty, basically pretty good stuff. Yeah. And to the point about it being a group lesson. I think when you're confronting your biggest fear with friends and fellow students around you, you can confront it more easily because you're seeing that fellow students are going through the same thing with their own fear, but you have kind of like a supportive network around you as you're confronting it. And maybe it's a little embarrassing to confront your greatest fear with people around you. But on the other hand, if everybody's going through it, it's easier to handle, I guess. Yeah. This lesson is like, Lupin could never have known, but it's the perfect tonic to Snape's lesson from earlier in the day. Um, And you're right. It is a vulnerable thing for somebody to see what you're fearing most. And I think Harry gets the worst of it by not being allowed to show his vulnerability (laughs) for very good reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. But I know he's in his head about it. But yeah, the rest of the class, it's, it's a supportive environment. And again, that's not what Snape, Snape isolates people and he creates an environment where every potioner is by themselves. Um, and alone and their work, that's their responsibility. They will be punished for their bad work. Whereas this class is like, let's help each other out. And if somebody can't handle a Boggart, I will protect you. He's not offering to shove them into the Boggarts, like let it let the Boggart grab them if they screw up the ridiculous charm. No, he's going to step in and, and help. So I think we've already gone through quite a bit of ways in which Lupin's the better teacher. I think... Yeah. It says a lot, though, too, that Neville's biggest fear is Professor Snape. That's Snape's fault. Yeah, yeah. without yeah. question. But yeah. I'm curious if he didn't have that experience just prior to this class, would Neville's boggart ended up being, let's say, his grandmother, and he wouldn't have been able to work through the fear that he has of Professor Snape? That's an mm. interesting yeah. question. Because we do see boggarts can change. Yeah. Yeah, they'll change because, I mean, it's all circumstantial, right? I think what you define as your greatest fear is just going to depend on where you are in life and what's going on. Because when I think about Neville and his greatest fear, St. Mungo's has got to be up there. Um, And I would imagine that there is potential for the Bogart to assume somebody who works the the form of somebody who works at St. Mungo's or maybe even his parents in their present state. I mean, that, that that's too sad for this early in the series. It's very sad. <laughs> we so, get that sad later on though. <laughs> I know that we're talking about this as being the best DA DA class that 
the trio have experienced. But if we're to connect the threads in Order of the Phoenix, they experienced probably their worst DADA class with Professor Umbridge. Oh, so it's like how the mighty have fallen. Well, I I just, I think we're going to be- Two very different ends of the spectrum, I would say. Like you were bringing up earlier how this is very practical Mm -hmm. versus with Umbridge, it's all by the book. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's what the ministry wants. Well, we'll be chasing, this is such a good class that we'll be chasing the high of this, like not only of Lupin as a teacher after this book, but of this class specifically, I think we chase the high the rest of the series. There there are other very, mm-hmm. there are other, like pretty good classes and other subjects, but this is the one that I always go back to as, as really taking the cake. Yeah. Well, and Eric, you brought up earlier how, you know, Lupin's teaching style here really goes on to inform how Harry teaches Defense Against the Dark Arts in Order of the Phoenix when they form Dumbledore's army. I think there's also a connection to be drawn for Neville and hit the confidence boost that he gets from Lupin. He also gets a very similar confidence boost from Harry in Order of the Phoenix when they're practicing in the DA. It's funny seeing the progression of the people that give Neville his confidence because right in the middle of the two you've just mentioned is Barty Crouch Jr. Death Eater, yep. uh, who identifies, <laughs> you know, really the herbologist in in Neville and and comforts him and after um, feeling bad about performing the Cruciatus Curse. So it's really interesting how that all how that all nets out. But um, I did have a question about whether Lupin like allowing the whole Snape thing to happen is due to some kind of revenge that like Lupin feels towards Snape. We did mention they were bullied before uh, or that Snape was bullied before and that they didn't get along as, as students, but could it be like funny now that the, like the whole class sees Snape in women's attire. Is that some form of like, does Lupin personally get any glee out of just that embarrassment or that, that humiliation that Snape upon finding out about it would feel? He wouldn't show it, but I guess I I bet he feels it a little bit. I mean, he's still a marauder at heart, right? Mm-hmm. So it's got to give him a little little bit of joy and a little bit of a, a kick. Yeah, and yeah. again, it's not something that exists in a vacuum. The reason that it's funny is because of how awful Snape is to Neville. Yeah, yeah. So the fact that it's Snape's predatory nature of Neville that makes Neville his worst fear. That's the only way the bogger could have taken that form. So it kind of goes back to Snape's fault. (laughs) This whole situation is interesting, too. I mean, I know it's Neville's grandmother's attire, but it is very fitting that he's got the hat with the stuffed vulture (laughs) on it as a representation Mm -hmm. here. He can be very vulture like. Oh, God, I didn't even make that connection. That is a good (laughs) call. Yeah. And and I guess no, uh, Lupin probably could have figured out a funnier way to make Snape funny or a different way to make Snape funny mm-hmm. than think about your grandmother. But but again, that's the other thing that makes Lupin a great teacher is he plays to Neville's strengths. Neville can very clearly picture his grandmother's clothes. She's his guardian and he sees her every day of his life when he's not at Hogwarts. So he's he's basically giving Neville the tools um that he has because he knows Neville's home life well enough. And here's the thing. He knows all the students names. As he calls them forward, he he helps them through each of their experiences. And in general, it just like shows that Lupin cares. He's actively engaged in the life of his students. I bet this is also kind of a test of like figuring out what their fear is, get like helps him know them better. 
and will help him be able to teach them better the rest of the year. I don't know. There's a lot of like that we can read into the potential benefits on Lupin's angle, but in general, it just ends up being a very fun class. So again, I mentioned earlier, but the one person that doesn't feel great coming out of this class is actually Harry. It's interesting because on the one hand, Harry fears what's going to happen when he steps up. He's like, wait a minute, I'm not sure about this. But then when when Lupin does the right thing and totally steps in without explanation and stops Harry from confronting the Boggart, Harry feels immediately stripped of agency, of courage. Uh, He feels like Lupin stepping in because he fears Harry couldn't handle it. And this goes back to what Harry's been feeling ever since he fainted from the Dementor, which is just inadequacy. Do we think that Lupin should have taken Harry aside immediately after class, maybe sensing that this sort of thing would be on Harry's mind versus like, is this a failing of Lupin to not have kind of stepped in and say, hey, by the way, Harry, can I talk to you? FYI. I think he deserved to know. Um, That said, I think Lupin also did it for other the rest of the class. Like nobody wants to see Voldemort. That's going to be very triggering to everybody because they all know him. So I, I think I think Lupin did it for other students just as much as Harry. That said, the point about the Dementor is still very good, too. Like Harry was very shaken up by that. So I just imagine if he faced Voldemort with other students who are also terrified around him simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. And ultimately, it probably was better this way because we know that Harry would have fainted again in front of the Dementor, which would have been a more traumatizing experience for him fainting in front of all his classmates. And there was no chocolate on standby this time. (laughs) So it just could not happen. Yeah. I've always wondered, though, why Harry's Boggart has that particular effect on him, because it's not a real Dementor at the end of the day. If you think about how some of the other students are able to get rid of their Boggarts, they don't have that same level of effect that the Dementor does. It's a good question because the Bogart is described as being like a shapeshifter. Um, it 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 embodies enough of what makes a Dementor tick that it has the same effect that a regular Dementor would on Harry, which is worth talking about because it is the only thing that we see that that really takes that on as much. But. Right. Because, and this may be a movieism, so I may need to be corrected, but he gets rid of the Boggart using Expecto Patronum when he's mm-hmm. supposed to be using Ridiculous. Like we never see the uh, Dementor show up with a birthday hat on or, you know, yeah. or something oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that would make you laugh. So that I, I've always not understood why mm. there's such a difference there for Harry's Boggart. Yeah. Well, I wonder if, I wonder if what it actually is, is that um, maybe toward the end of the lessons with Lupin that are coming up and we'll read it and we'll find out maybe Lupin does say ridiculous and and gets the buggered away. That's what I think happens. I think the purpose of the lessons is to teach Harry Expecto Patronum. And then when he finally gets it, Lupin is the one to cast ridiculous to uh, rid them of the Bogart, but we'll have to check for that. Honestly, the Discord will probably check for it. Well, yeah. the Patronus is just a barrier, so it doesn't destroy the right. Dementor. It just you know protects. But yeah. I, I... The other thing that came to mind in terms of stepping in front for Harry is just that he's one of James's closest friends. And we obviously don't know that at this point, but there's a natural tendency to want to protect 
Harry as a result of that, I would think. Yeah, yeah but think we've so. been talking today about how Lupin's a good teacher, and I think he just really would want to, you know, I don't think he's making an exception for that reason. I think he's making an exception because a Dementor or Harry initially thinks Voldemort. I said Voldemort a few minutes ago. Are we sure it would have been a Dementor? I mean, I know Harry thinks about it after Voldemort, but... I mentioned Voldemort a few minutes ago. Were you guys accepting that, or yeah? Well, did you just? Uh, I think Lupin thinks that it was going to be Voldemort too. Uh huh. Um, mm. and, and it does make you wonder how much of your Bogart's form is a self fulfilling prophecy. Like, how much of yeah. that is informed by what you're expecting it to be? It's kind of like when you're watching or reading. Uh, watching a scary movie, reading a scary story, if there are gaps in those narratives, there often are because your mind fills in the blanks of what's scary to you. It makes me think that the person is projecting and the and the uh, Bogart ultimately picks up on that projection. Just like with Neville still being shaken up by Snape. Yeah. Could we also make the argument that Lupin may think that the Boggart will turn into Harry's dead parents. And Ooh, yeah. No matter what it again, is, it's, loop- yeah, it's not good. It's no. going to be dark. <laughs> yeah. The, the point is Darker Harry's got Snape. a lot of trauma. He has probably, yeah. he and Neville have the most trauma of anyone in this classroom. So there's a lot of potential for their Boggarts to be extremely disturbing. Totally. And it's probably worth mentioning too that Harry isn't the only one that doesn't get a turn. Hermione doesn't either. And so we don't know what her Bogart would have been, even though Ron jokes about it. We do find out later though, right? Mm-hmm. You do it the, the exam. It is in fact a teacher telling her something. On that. And she, failure. Yeah. she actually yeah. freaks out about it too. She doesn't handle it well. Um, but even, you know, despite knowing in her head what it is, yeah, we, we could have a whole conversation about how, Laura, you just mentioned the severity of Boggart's due to life experiences kind of tilt in the direction of Harry and Neville being something that more likely the other students are not going to want to see versus, you know, we see mummies and severed hands and spiders and, you know, rats chasing their tails or, you know, like things that kids would normally be afraid of but there's yeah. horrors in in harry's past as, as lupin says kyle also says in the discord this year of kids are the last year of kids born during the war so a lot of messed up childhoods are likely so it's possible lupin had his work cut out for him trying to dispel some True. of this i will say even though harry and hermione don't get to perform lupin gives them points and this is another interesting kind of occurrence because he's those aren't net, those, they really aren't sympathy points i think harry feels like they might be sympathy points he says i didn't do anything but then lupin says you answered the questions in the beginning of class so every student that faced the boggart gets points every student that answered a question and participated in class gets points i just think this is a a, a better way to teach, you know, with that little bit of reward, you're gamifying the lesson by offering points yeah. at the end of it. I think it, I think it breeds engagement. Yeah. Yeah. And it more than makes up for the points they lost from Snape. Yeah. Lupin probably <laughs> knows they lost points from Snape in the potions class, just based on that brief interaction. So mm-hmm. he's like, don't worry, kids, I'm going to load you up. 
<laughs> I uh, I did want to make one connecting the threads here to Order of the Phoenix because I feel like it's an important one. There is a pretty big Boggart scene that takes place in Chapter 9, The Woes of Mrs. Weasley. And we know that uh, she's going through uh, quite a moment where she's seeing so many of those family members and Harry uh, dead on the floor uh, in front of her. And what is notable about this moment, too, is the fact that it's Lupin who comes into the room and gets rid of the Boggart. So much like he does step in the way for Harry in this chapter, he steps in for Molly in Order of the Phoenix to get rid of the Boggart. Good call out. Love that. Yeah. That uh, definitely brings us to overall thoughts, odds and ends. One thing I thought to connect to the previous book is that Draco, during all of his boasting, is talking about how Lucius, his dad, complained to all the school governors and the minister for magic about what happened with Hagrid and the Hippogriff. But it's important to note the reason that Lucius complained to all the school governors uh, and basically that this I'm failing to say this correctly, but Lucius had to complain to all the school governors. Lucius is no longer one of them. Uh, Lucius was actually sacked as a school governor. So what Draco is boasting about actually staunchly overlooks the fact that Lucius might have had more power to uh, basically hurt Buckbeak or Hagrid the year before. So interesting mention, uh, mention of Lucius and school governors in the same sentence that completely ignores the very most recent development of Lucius used to be one of them and isn't. Also, have you guys ever made the connection? Like, I remember reading book three for the first time and going, this is so brilliant. Bogarts are the monster under the bed. Yeah. Mm, or the monster in your closet. Version. Yeah. Like, because Lupin describes them as liking, you know, dark spaces and tight spaces. And I'm like, this is what it is. This is the explanation for my childhood fear of something in the closet. It's just, it's just brilliant. I, I just it think really that was is. a really, really good connection. Did any of us have rituals um, that we did as children to either avoid like the monster in the closet or the boogeyman under the bed? I know for me, when I was a little kid, when I would go to bed, I had this ritual every night. I would turn off the light in my bedroom and then I would like take a running leap yes. and catapult myself into yes. bed so that I didn't have to walk yes. by the bottom absolutely <laughs> i bet some kids left like apples for the thing it's like <laughs> or pull the covers up over your head yeah when you go to sleep i did that a lot yeah i can never sleep with my closet door open totally nuts mm -mm. oh that yeah that's a good one i needed a nightlight uh when i was a kid i didn't want to sleep in total darkness i because i was scared of the monsters honestly i still have a nightlight now <laughs> yeah they're, they're useful not stubbing your toe i love darkness now but uh yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's not an end connection uh, brought up in the Discord. Actually, Elizabeth uh, pointed out we were talking about uh, Hermione whispering instructions to Neville and Snape not liking that. In book six, Snape's own potions book will be, quote, whispering instructions to Harry. Ooh. That's so. a great That's call really good. out. Good job. Speaking of Hermione, Laura. I saw yeah. Her. So we get a little bit of a hint about what's going on with Hermione this year. Um, the trio are leaving potions 
And they turn around to say something to Hermione. She's not there. And then all of a sudden, she appears at the bottom of the staircase that they all just walked up together. And she's tucking something down the front of her robes. What could it be? It's so interesting to reread these books because I forgot how explicit it was. Yeah. (laughs) Clearly, Hermione was messing with time. It's hidden if you're a 13 year old. (laughs) Yes. It's, yeah. And, and for everyone older, it's like, oh, okay, there's something else. One other thing that actually came to mind that we didn't discuss is the fact that Draco knows about Sirius mm-hmm. and what oh. he did to Harry's parents. Mm-hmm. And he kind of dangles it in front of him a little bit in this chapter, but it's definitely worth noting that Draco is in the know, which is something we talked about in previous chapter discussions that... Harry should have been given some more information here because it would make sense that kids of parents who were alive during that time are very much aware of what happened to James and Lily. And it would have been publicized, um, maybe not specifically Secret Keeper-wise, but uh, Black's allegiance with Voldemort. Everything that Draco says could be inferred by just Muggle News, or sorry, Wizarding News. Mm. Final odd and end that I had that I found somewhat interesting. There's two references to rats in this chapter. Snape tells Neville he should have used one rat spleen in his potion. And then there's a boggart of a rat chasing its tail in a circle uh, in Lupin's class. So I don't know. Should we be fearful of the rat? Is that what this is trying to tell us? Can never escape rats. This is like, um, this is very eagle-eyed. I love that you found this. Um, it reminds me of all the references to like grim things in book five. Mm-hmm. That's what it's like. Let's keep looking for rat mentions. All right. Well, that is the chapter. And now it's time for MVP of the week. I'm going to give it to the spell Wadi Wasi. <laughs> For all those times you see gum stuck somewhere and don't want to touch it because that is so convenient. Imagine if you get gum stuck on your shoe. You just use that spell. Yeah, this one's very easy, but I'm going to give it to Lupin. For all the reasons we discussed, he knows the students' names. He engages them fully to the best of their ability. He has confidence and likes what he does. I'm going to give mine to Neville with a little bit of encouragement. He's able to overcome his greatest fear at least at this point in his story arc. And that's pretty cool. And I'm going to give it to Trevor just because. (laughs) (laughs) The real MVP. He survived. Surviving. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Dealing with Snape's nonsense. Well, if you, the listener, have any feedback about today's episode or the chapters ahead, you can send an owl to mugglecast.gmail.com or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also send a voice message. We love hearing you. Just record it using the voice memo app on your phone, then email us that file or use our phone number, which is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. And next week, we will discuss chapter eight of Prisoner of Azkaban, Flight of the Fat Lady. And now it's time for some quizage. Last week's question What animal is responsible for the death of Lavender Brown's rabbit? Of course, this comes up in the near future. It is a fox. Correct answers were submitted uh, by lots of people with very fun names, including Harry's favorite T-shirt, 
a Riley Wriggling Flobberworm, Gilderoy Mockhart, Manchester Muggle, Fastest Hufflepuff, Babbity Rabbity the Third, Ravenclaw from Waxaw, somebody in all caps, the Fantastic Beast series is canceled. Hermione's Logic Arguments, The Mundane Seer, Deep Cover R, and Half a Slug. Congrats to everybody and more names that I did not read. And here is next week's question. This one's a pretty easy one. What is the name of the fat lady's close friend? Submit your answer to us on the MuggleCast website, mugglecast.com slash quizich. And click on Quizich from the main nav if you're on our website anyway. If You know, set, set our website as your homepage in Google. <laughs> that way you'll always be able to answer. A portrait has more friends than Snape. That's oh. pretty sad. Don't forget, we will be recording a new bonus MuggleCast after this episode recording. And that'll be on our Patreon later this week. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can find it. And we'll be talking about how adult the Harry Potter TV show can get. And if it does, what could we expect to see and then micah and eric you have a reminder for everybody right absolutely yeah eric and i will be at LeakyCon 2023 in chicago illinois this summer august 4th through the 6th uh, we're still working through what the programming is going to look like if you're going to be in the chicago area or you want to uh make the trip out eric and i will be there and you can use code muggle uh, when signing up to get a discount all right. And a couple other reminders before we wrap up. We do love when listeners support us on Patreon, but if you'd prefer to use Apple Podcasts to support us, you can do that. For just $2.99 a month, you can receive ad-free and early access to MuggleCast right within the Apple Podcasts app. Patrons do get more benefits, but like I said, maybe you just want to support us through Apple Podcasts, and that's fine. Just tap into the show, and then you'll see a subscribe button. There's also, whether you pledge via Patreon or Apple Podcasts, there is an annual option. And if you do sign up for an annual subscription, you will receive a discount. So keep that in mind if you want to save a little money and support us over the long term. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. Our username is MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you enjoy the show, we would really appreciate a five-star review. Yes, a five-star review. Some people have said they love the show and then give us one star, I think maybe because they see it as like an A grade. Um, oh. No, we would love a five-star review if you're enjoying it. So uh, you can do that through Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you so much for reviewing us. It helps us reach new listeners. And that concludes this week's episode. I'm Andrew with a boggart of eh, probably dead people. <laughs> I'm Eric, also fearful of dead people i'm like a fearful of lightning i didn't know that yeah remember when we were in orlando and it was thunderstorm and you had to hold him very tightly <laughs> <laughs> to carry him home pat him on the back it's okay micah it's okay and i'm laura with a fear of tight enclosed spaces all right we're all gonna go into therapy now bye everybody <laughs> bye bye bye, bye.